If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Alex lived and breathed horses for the first half of her life in the UK and competed badminton CCI four-star on five different occasions, receiving the Amada dish presented by the Queen. We'll talk to Alex about her adventures very soon. How are you today, Alex? I'm great, thank you, Annie. Great. Now, Alex, we normally start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? Um, I actually struggled a little bit with a quote. I'm not a huge quote person, but I was thinking back to especially my father always used to say, all through my writing, he'd always say, oh, if pots and pans, no, if it's bananas or pots and pans, there would be no need for tinkers. And that sort of always followed me because I'm very much a perfectionist and I'd always, you know, I'd do something and I'd be like, oh, if only I'd done this, I could have done better. If only I'd done that. And he was constantly saying this to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm um, having just sort of in preparation of this, I actually just Googled it, just just checked to see what it means. And I don't think it actually means what we thought it meant. <laughs> we thought it was like, stop saying if and out, you know, you can't change what's happened, just get on with things. But I think the original version was sort of more around, you know, being overly optimistic of the things, which is kind of almost a little bit Freudian of, you know, <laughs> the opposite of what we thought it was. <laughs> but yeah, so that's sort of definitely going through sort of most of my life. It's always been, you know, stop stop dwelling on, on what's happened and, and just, just get on with what you've done and be happy with what you've done. And yeah, yeah you can't change it. Well, it's like a lot of things, isn't it? It's just perspective. Yeah. You know, different things will happen to different people. So the way that you took that particular saying might be different to the way someone else has taken it, but you've taken it and it's helped you. So you've got on with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly that. And it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, still now I kind of feel myself going, oh, finally. And I'm like, no, don't, don't say that. <laughs> it's not helpful. Don't say that. <laughs> All right. Now tell us about, do you have any first memories, your very first memories of horses or being with horses? I'm sure you'd have one or two. Tell us about that day. Yeah, well, um, my parents were into horses and were very into hunting in the UK, and they used to have had some hunters. And when I was about four, they bought a little grey little pony companion for their a few hunters. And so my first sort of real memories of horses is, you know, they'd go, they had their horses adjusted, they'd go up riding, and I'd, you know, they'd put, leave me, or not leave me, but they'd <laughs> put me with, with those people up in the tack room. There's a tack room above the stables, and it was you know, just that whole beautiful tack room, leather smell, and all mm-hmm. the walls were covered with the, in England, you, you get your big rosettes, and first yep. place is red, and it was just covered with the big red rosettes, and I'd you know, sit there with, you know, sort of a four-year-old going, oh my gosh, you know, I want to get all those rosettes, I want to be like that, you know, I want to be on top of 
room full of full of ribbons and, and rosettes and and yeah, so that was sort of my my first memory. And then, you know, obviously we then we sort of moved to our own sort of property and I got more into riding and we got more ponies and, and yeah, and I used to I remember myself and my sister who's a couple of years older than me and so my best friend at the time, so we must have been, I don't know, probably not much more than about seven. We would literally, we had like sort of 68 as well. That, you know, horses would just be running wherever, you know, there's all um, dry stone wall fences, um, walls all between, yep. sort of half knocked down. And we would literally just go up with our head collars, grab the ponies, jump on bareback and just literally hoon around the field. And we'd spend hours, the poor little ponies, but we'd spend hours just galloping around, jumping these little walls and, you know, falling off and laughing and chasing each other. And, and just really, and I think that's probably what, you know, sort of, you know, there wasn't anything, there's was no finesse or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it was just get on and have fun. And, and I think that's what kind of made it. From yeah. then on, we were like, ponies of our life, you know, horses, yep, yep, horses of our yep. life kind of thing. Yes, all that time in the saddle. You've certainly used that time in the saddle well, and you might say no finesse then, but if you've got the time in the saddle and the confidence and and learning a lot of other skills, you know, you can put the finesse on then a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And that's, um, like, I've got a, an eight-year-old daughter now, and that's exactly what it's about. It's bound to, you know, that confidence and just mm. getting out and enjoying it, making mistakes and falling off and getting back on and <laughs> learning from it or doing it again and getting back on and finally learning from it. I'm sort of thinking, you know, because you about a career with horses, but by the sounds of it, when you were looking at those, you were in the tap room covered with rosettes. It sounds like you were making up your mind then already, you know, that that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, exactly. I think Mm -hmm. and it's always, you know, I was totally, I was the epitome of the the horse mad, you know, or the pony mad little girl. Mm-hmm. And we'd be, you know, off at shows every weekend. I mean, my parents, you know, at the time, don't realise what they're doing, but they, <laughs> they were mates. They was, God knows how they did it. You know, they yes. would take us everywhere, do shows, and you know, I was always like, I'm, I'm going to ride horses. That's, that's yep. what I do. That's yep. what I love, yep. and you know, yep. nothing else. You know, yep. I, was, I was good at sports. I was good at other stuff, but it was always no. It has to be the horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If someone talked to you, you know, because you teach, you've got your six-year-old daughter, but you've got some older students or, you know, if someone's there and they're just at school or they're thinking about having a career with horses, what sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need? I think you've got to have that passion. I think anyone in the mm. whole world, we're all the same, aren't we? We've got, it's in it's in the blood, that, that passion for horses. Um, it's also, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. You've got to be a tough cookie. You've got to want to work hard and have a fair amount of resilience you know it's you know horses are a great leveler they'll you know you can be you'll be winning one day and you'll just not be able to ride a thing the next um you've got to have that resilience and and also just want to learn just you know you've got to be able to learn from everyone you can you want to you know you'll have your trainers or you go to clinics or, or whatever but it's also there's always you know whoever you're talking to you can kind of learn stuff from and I mean I've fairly recently moved up up to Byron Bay and just sort of you know talking to the you know this local three four generation farmers and, and stockmen and you know and it's just kind of in the blood and the, you know it might be a different way of riding or you know different stuff they do but just that kind of horsemanship skills it's mm. you know there's so much you can pick up oh. up from anywhere yep yep yeah and I think and actually I'm, I'm waffling on a bit but one thing I think which I didn't actually realize until later on is 
there's also your mental attitude. I think that's really, really important. You know, so I kind of left horses for a while and went into a proper job in the real world kind of thing. I think it was only then when starting to look at, you know, I worked with some business coaches and whatever and kind of looking back at, you know, sort of your skills stuff and your, your visualisation and your mental attitude and everything came back and they were going, oh, imagine a time when you did and so you were really empowered or, you know, didn't do as well as you thought and every single time came back <laughs> to a horse scenario. Yeah. And I looked back and went, oh my God, it is. You know, those times when I went, you know, I can clearly remember a time when I was, I think I was about 12 and I was at a show and I, it sounds really materialistic, but I saw that like there was a massive cup for winning. <laughs> it was a yeah. winning hunter class, with a massive cup and I just like, oh my God, that's just my most idea. I'm going to win that. I'm so going to win that. And I did. And yeah. then there's other times where, you know, I've gone, oh, you know, don't think I'm up to this. I'll, I'll probably won't get past then five. And again, I didn't. Okay. And it's only because when you actually stand back and go, oh my God, you know, obviously mm. talent and hard work and comes into it, but... Your actual attitude as you go into something, I think, has a huge effect on the final outcome. It's not going to be everything, but it, it is definitely going to help you on the outcome. I don't know if that's slightly going sideways a bit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking about the fence five, you know, and if you're going out there thinking that you're only going to yeah. get up to fence five and you go out and can't visualise any further than fence five, well, yeah. of course you're not. You know, that's that's just... you're not going to get further. Exactly. 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 Yeah. yeah. And it's it's you know it's, it's so common sense and simple, but I think at times you get you don't think clearly and sort of take a deep breath and go, yep. well, yep. okay, I know I can do this. I've done my prep. I've done done my work. We just need to go out and do it. Yep. Yep. And you know, there's a lot of times where people win competitions and they win it, but in their bedroom at home or in their office at home is a photo of them holding up the trophy or the medal or something and it's just been photoshopped or else there's a drawing there of them holding it up and winning because they've always visualised it. There was always going to be, so that's what they did. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, and your subconscious is such a huge influence on Mm -hmm. what you do that, you know, if you can get your mind and, as you say, your visualisation and and your mental attitude right, yep. Yeah, I think it's all it's all part of the your toolkit, isn't it? Mm, mm. Now, what do you think then is the best thing? Because you're someone who's been in the horse industry, left it for a bit, come back. What's the best thing about working in the horse industry? The best thing it's got to be. I think it's got to be the people. Like it's you know, there's such a mix of different people, mm-hmm. good and bad. But you know, and it's such. Um, I guess horses are just so grounding on this they're such levelers and you know it doesn't matter who you are what you are what you've done you know you're pretty much when you go out on your horse you're pretty much all at the same level you know within reason mm-hmm. you know um i think this is it is definitely there's a different breed of people everyone's yeah you know, it's just that whole i don't know how do i explain it i think it's just the mindset and the you know you're outdoors you work hard you you've got that empathy, that just the empathy with the animals. And yeah, I think, and as I said before, so once, once horses are in your blood, it doesn't matter how hard you try to get away from them. You just, you just always come back. It's, you know, and I'm being, you know, I, mm-hmm. so when I first came back and started back with horses, I just felt so happy. And so, yeah, yeah I just felt like, yep, this is what I should be. I feel really, you know, I've done, worked hard all day, done lots of horses and feel great. As opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, Mm. coming back feeling 
flat or unfulfilled. I mean, and obviously there's good days and bad days, but generally, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Now, what about then someone who's helped you? Like you talked about your parents and the great influence that they had, you know, taking you around to, to shows and competitions and everything else. But what about other people? Who's influenced you? Well, it's obviously, you know, there's been huge amounts. I mean, there's been the people that have, you know, looked up to my idols. and then and who, who were they, the people that you looked up to, you know, your idols? Yeah, when I was younger, Lucinda Green was very mm-hmm. much the epitome to me because she was just so gutsy and ballsy and just got out there and had a good time. Yep. And then also, you know, the Mark Todd, is, you know, if, if you ask who is one of the best riders in the world, in my eyes, it's definitely Mark Todd. He's just, you know, when it comes to polish and finesse, and he can ride a donkey and win on it. He's yes. such an yes, amazing rider good. and yep. such a nice, humble person as well. And that's mm. kind of, you know, he was sort of my idol. And then I ended up competing on a par with him. And you're like, my God, he's, you know, he's a really nice person as mm. well, mm. but is so talented. Mm. And um, I'm really, you can get a tune out of any kind of horses. You know, there's so many people that can possibly only ride one type of horse or, mm. you know, but he can just, you know, get a connection with, with any horse, I think. Yes. So that's sort of idolized. But I, I think I was actually thinking about this sort of, I think there was probably two pivotal points in my career which kind of was influence people influenced me and kind of which is kind of where I ended up. And you know, and obviously I've had I've had lots of trainers, I had you know personal trainers, lots of team trainers. But I can remember when I must have been about fourteen in Pony Club and I went to a clinic with a lady called Margaret Glees, whose maiden name was Margaret Huss, who was the first woman to win badminton in nineteen fifty four. Mm. Amazing, right? She's actually just recently this year died, which is really sad. But so I went to a clinic and and she was really pivotal in that I got on really well with her. We just kind of connected. I had a the time my pony was like a little 15 hand dress up mare who hated dressage but was the most amazing jump up I've ever sat on mm-hmm. and was as bold as be cross country. But I was never because the dressage wasn't there. I was, you know, I enjoyed the eventing, but it was just one of the many things I did. But I think, you know, having, and then I started having lessons off Margaret and she just really got me into, I think she sort of really molded me into mm, into mm. kind of the inventing side. And, and we just, you know, this little tiny little 15 hand pony, we went through, we won the Riding Club National Champions, the Pony Club, we did novice eventing, we did into, we got the intermediate senior championship, you know, she did so much. And I think that really grounded me and that was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of, First person. And then sort of, I guess, following on from that, I went off to uni and, you know, my parents were like, yay, she's going to go and get a proper career. <laughs> and then I sort of, you know, at the end of uni, I was, you know, I've got this beautiful young horse, this six-year-old who was doing really well and I was competing in, in the holidays and I kind of said, well, can I go and go and just spend a year with my trainer? I'd be based on my trainer who's a man called Nigel Taylor in England and and just sort of see what I can do, you know, just take a year off and focus because I've done, you know, done quite well, but just focus on horses and, and see what I can do. And, and I think, you know, in that year, you could have turned me one with the other one, but I ended up, you know, had the most amazing year and, and that turned into the next however long, five or six years of doing it for a living and, mm-hmm. you know, eventing and 
competing at badminton and, you know, riding for other people and coaching and, and bringing on young horses. And that was it. I think it was that, that one year, kind of, again, was another pivotal turning point of that's the direction I take. So you did badminton five times, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. And it was in that time, was it, with Nigel? Um, no, it was. I based myself with Nigel for the first year and because sort of, I only had a young horse. Yep. And he sort of trained me on and then I sort of went and sort of set up my mm-hmm. own yard, which all sort of trained with him amongst other people. Yep. And so, yeah, so he basically got me, definitely got me to my first, my first badminton, or probably first two. And then after that, I sort of set up on my own and had my own yard and things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us during that time, or, you know, maybe even since with your daughter, I don't know, what's been your proudest moment with horses? I think the proudest moment has probably got to be having completed Bampton five times. For those that do, and it's, you know, it's not a it's not an easy thing to do to actually sure. compete, let alone complete, mm-hmm. you get a, it's called an Armada dish. And so I, um, and I was presented with my Armada dish from the Queen which was a um, pretty proud, proud moment. So I think that was, yeah, I think that's probably got to be, I mean, there's degrees of, you know, there's great success and achievements over over the, the years, I guess. But I think that's, that's probably got to be the pinnacle of, of my career. I'm sure anyone. Just tell us a little bit about the, the history. When did it start that the Queen started to award this dish for someone who's completed badminton five times? I actually don't think she, it's, it's not a usual thing. Mm-hmm. So I actually think probably myself, and I probably need to look this up, the year that we got awarded it was, um, it was a, I, I can't even think why it was, it was a special a special year, but the Queen sort of came, it was like a special reason that she wanted to come and, and present mm-hmm. the other dishes. So I think for myself and I think that year there was probably maybe four others with, with potentially a okay. be the only receipt <laughs> from the Queen. <laughs> yeah, so that makes it even even more special and and um and precious. Yeah. Alex, thinking about winning that Amada dish, what's been the biggest challenge on your way to getting that? Yeah, just tell us a bit about that. You know, what were your biggest challenges to get there? Because everyone wants to get there. Everyone wants to get a, get something presented by the Queen, you know, go to badminton, complete badminton five times, compete internationally, do lots of stuff and be very successful. But I'm sure you would have had lots of challenges along the way. Just choose one challenge, your biggest challenge, and let us know what it's been. Yeah, sure. As you say, yeah, there's been plenty of challenges of all, all different shapes and sizes. So I think it's particularly for me, and I also think it, it does relate to going forward, it's just the balancing the whole the cost of producing and competing at the highest level. When I was competing at a level, it was obviously a few years ago. And so although there was a bit of sponsorship around and get a bit of help here, there and everywhere but there was no sort of real, like, there was no main institute of sport funding back in the UK. There's now, but there wasn't when I was doing it. And there's a lot of, you know, you were kind of expected to do it for the love, really, which mm-hmm. which we did. That's why we did it. But from a business sense, it was probably, probably not, not that great. And I think the lesson is kind of making how you balance doing what you love doing and 
competing at the highest level and, you know, living, breathing horses, but also being a little bit more savvy about having a bit more of a business head to actually sort of help make it pay. Just tell us about the things that you did do to get that income then. Yeah. Oh, well, I, um, because I was sort of always seemed to be struggling money-wise. Um, so I sort of would, would have my yard of horses between about five and eight horses and I would be either competing for other people, either mine, or I would buy, so each year I'd buy a couple of some unbroken four-year-olds, break them in, get them competing, some winning at novice, intermediate level, and then kind of sell them on to then fund my sort of one or two good horses to keep them running. Mm-hmm. But then in the meantime, I'd also be doing quite a bit of coaching. So I'd sort of ride my horses and the horses I was riding for other people during the day. Then I'd sort of finish it. And generally, by the time I'd swept up to finish yards, it'd be sort of 6.37. I'd then go and teach for a couple of hours. I'd go either coach other people or ride their horses or whatever. Um, during the winter months, most of my horses were having a bit more of a holiday. And then there would you know, I was just bringing young ones into work and stuff. I'd actually go and we um, had a local racehorse trainer, so I'd actually go and ride a couple of lots out in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I'd ride two or three of the racehorses and help them, you know, just with general gallop work and also their jumping, if there's any jumpers, get them jumping. And then just trying to balance getting the money. And um, what I didn't do very well was, you know, sort of there's a few instances where potentially I could have sold some horses that were doing well and a lot of money which would have helped but I was you know sort of caught up in how amazing they were and yep. I wanted to ride them yes. <laughs> which, yes. you know when, you, when you're young and keen and you, all you want to do is compete all the time it, it's you know that's what you want to do and so yeah so if I'd been a little little more business savvy I'd maybe have made a few different choices <laughs> but um, so when I was doing it when, when there wasn't a lot of funding for example the first time that I was riding for the British team in France at Compiègne the CCI two star and I was so excited it's like yeah I get to wear my, my Union Jack flags and it's all excited and you know and all my friends and family were like yay great you know so what happens next um and then I'm you know so I'm like oh you know what happens next where do I turn up and you know basically well you know you're going you've got to be in Compiègne on Tuesday you'll be there till the following Tuesday see you then and it's you know we had to pay for um, yeah, the ferry, getting the horse over there, so the ferry and uh, driving across France, and you know all of those extra expenses. Yeah. All of those extra, yeah, and then pay to sell the people to ride the horses back at home, and, and it was great. I mean, I had it was an amazing experience. I, th- I think I came seventh, did really well, but the money that I won wasn't even a fraction of sure. the cost of it to cover for that week. And you know, but that's that's all part parcel, and I wouldn't wouldn't change. I wouldn't. Have, my aim was to have my British flag. I wanted to be riding and doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I would, that was my dream. I, I would not have done it. But, um, it, you know, that's just an example that it, it is, or it was, and, and still is, you know, an expensive sport. So you do have to think about the best ways to actually make it work. You know, yeah. not just be, you're riding the horses, you're doing great with the horses, but you've also got to have some business sense as well and, you know, mm. get that balance between, you know, your, your business head and, and your sort of horsey head yep. to make it work. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, you know, while you were riding and competing and you had your one or two horses, but also the couple of other horses that you were riding, you're using your talent and your skills to increase the value of those horses. You know, like you said, you could have sold them for a lot more money. 
had you wanted to sell them, but it's still your horsemanship and your skills and everything that keeps increasing while you're doing that. You know, like those skills keep increasing, but you're still getting an income from giving those skills to other people and other horses as well. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah. the more horses you ride and the, the trickier horses and the, you know, not so polished horses that you ride, it's all improving your riding, which then helps with the, uh, you know, more owners want you to ride their horses because, yep. you know, yep. they see yep. what a good job yep. you are. It is an interesting sort of balancing act, mm-hmm. I think. Of, yeah. And you've got to, and that's sort of, that's, part of the course if you know you don't want to be you, know, you want to just be a person that can only ride one type of horse or you know the perfect horse comes along and you can ride him you want to be able to jump on any horse and yep. and get a tune or, or show that they can improve and you only do that by by riding you know six or eight horses a day and riding anything and everything <laughs> you know people come along and go oh i want my horse ridden but it's a bit crazy and no one else will ride it. And I'll be like, yeah, I'll ride it. <laughs> um, as you say, that that's how you learn. That's how you get better. And that's how you either get more rides or you put more value on the horses you are riding because, yes. you know, you're a better rider. So the horse is going better. And so ultimately, you know, it's a more saleable, saleable horse. And um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, tell us, I want you to put your coaching cap on now. And I want you to talk about riders that you would have seen when you're competing and a lot of riders will ride get to a certain level but they might go up to the next level and they've been winning at a lower level they go to the next level and really struggle really have problems what sort of things because you see it again and again you know that riders are riding quite well at one level as soon as they go up they struggle and they have problems what sort of advice would you give them yeah a couple of things First thing is definitely, I think I probably said earlier, like never stop learning. So you should, you know, never think you don't need help or, you you know, you can't learn from other people. I've always had lots of instructors of, you know, different types sort of helping me out. So it's really important that you have got, um, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, you can't always tell what, what you are or, or aren't doing. So you need, you need those eyes on the ground, you, you know, if you are doing something obvious or, you know, something you know you need to tweak so that you need that help but I think also I think probably the, the biggest reason, reason as you say you know people get to a certain level they're doing great they're you know having fun they're getting by they're, they're winning and then they go up that next level and it just all seems to fall apart and I think that basically goes back to and it's really not very exciting sounding and almost a little boring but it's just getting the basics right. And I think a lot of people are so, they're almost in a, in a rush to, you know, they, they get their young horse, they get a new horse, and they're in a rush to, I need to be out doing this, and so-and-so is doing this, so I need to be doing better. And, you know, and they almost get caught up in the grandeur and they sort of forget about just getting the basics right. Yep. So, you know, they, they want to be doing changes or they want to be doing shoulder in or they want to be jumping, you know, one metre 20 or one metre 30, but they haven't put in the hard yard on getting the basics right and as you know sort of as boring as it is you know if you can't canter over a canter pole 20 times and get the perfect stride 20 times and then change it so you're putting two more strides in between or you're mm-hmm. you know reducing or increasing if you can't do that then how can you ride a big course properly and it's you can get by to a certain level and you know you don't have to be amazing up to a certain level 
But then when you do go up that notch and things start to get a little bit more serious, that's when the, the cracks begin to show. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's when you kind of go, oh, that's where, you know, I need to go back to the basics and put in the hard yards. And, you know, it's no point trying to do my canter changes if the horse is totally leans on inside hand and, you know, it's not trucking up and doesn't even carry himself. How can yep. you possibly, you know, lift his shoulder and change, you know? So it's very um, unglamorous, but <laughs> basically it's, you know, putting in the hard yards and working on the basics and not rushing and not, you know, there's no get-rich-quick kind of thing. It, mm. You know, you have to put in the work at home, give yourself a goal, you know, work to that and don't feel like you have to be rushed. Don't feel like, oh, you know, I've been, been competing for six months a year. I should be, you know, mm. at elementary by now. Yep. You know, it's... Yep. If you haven't had time to do the training or, you know, it wasn't right or something's happened, then you shouldn't be there. And mm-hmm. you have to just remember that you just put in the hard yards at home, do the basics and, and don't feel pressured to rush into things half-cooked, basically. Yep, yep. You, you know, you're talking about putting in the hard yards and getting the basic rights and getting them established and also having the eyes on the grounds. But I want to take you back to what you said about commencing in the horse industry because you're quite strong on the mental attitude and the wanting to learn and I think if you've got the right mental attitude and you want to learn you will go back and you'll put those hard yards in and you'll get things established and you'll learn from your experience and um to be able to progress on to the next level yeah definitely definitely and yeah you've got to have that passion you've got to want to do it because it's you know when it's I mean it's not so bad I know in England when it was, you know, freezing cold, it's in January, February in England, and it's, you know, sleeting and cold and damp and miserable, but you've still got to get out there. And yep. Yep. Still got to, you know, ride your six horses and, you know, they're on a program, they're on, you know, so you've got, you know, you can't just go, oh, well, can't be bothered this week. <laughs> we've got, you know, we've got next week because there's never next week. There's, there's never enough time. So you've, mm-hmm. you've got to have the dedication, basically. Mm-hmm. Alex, have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners, something that can complement their training? To be honest, I off the top of my head, I I don't. I would I would just um, recommend, as I said before, you, you can never stop learning. So read everything, listen to everybody. Um, you don't have to take everything away, but make sure you listen to people and you can, you know, take this from here, take that from there if it works for you. But definitely just, you're just saying um, read everything, like don't stop learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not one book in particular, but just read everything. Yeah, I yeah, think, and it yeah. depends sort of what, you know, what you're into and, and what works for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you have to sort of find what works and, yeah, and try yeah. that. But, yeah. but as I yeah. say, you know, you can, there's so, you know, everybody, whether it's in the sort of discipline that, that you're interested in or it's not, but it's still in the horse world, everyone has got, within reason, <laughs> It's got, mm. you know, something that, you know, you can learn from, I think. Yep. And um, Everyone's going to have their gaps, aren't they? You know, the gaps that they want to learn something in particular. So we've got a lot of books that we have recommended and, um, you know, they're on horsechats.com slash books. So if people go and have a look there, think about the gaps, think about what they want to learn and then, you know, make a choice from there. But don't make one choice. You'll come back again when you want to learn something else and have a look at that and um, go on from there. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And and everyone sort of has this, you know, different ways of doing things. So, you know, two people could be telling you exactly the same thing or you could, you know, the book could be written, you know, 
exactly this is kind of the outcome they want, but yep. one way that they actually describe it resonates more than the other way, even though basically it's very similar. Yes. Um, I see that quite a lot, you know, sort of with, with coaching people, you'll, you'll sort of say something and go, you know, do this, and it's just not working, and then you say exactly the same thing, but, you know, in a slightly different way, and you haven't actually changed what you're saying, but you just use a different way to describe it, and all of a sudden the penny drops. It's like, oh, oh, you mean, you know, go between both legs and both hands in a straight line, you know, <laughs> something simple. Yes. And it's, yeah, so it's kind of, you have to, yeah, which is the same with books. I think you need to, you need to kind of find, you know, what, what resonates with, with you, and um, and that might mean reading everything you can get your hands on. <laughs> yep. What are you looking forward to now? You, you've got your daughter riding. Um, I know you've sort of been been doing some coaching. What are you looking forward to at the moment? And you've got a new property too, haven't you? You're just setting up a property, is that right? Yes. Well, yeah. No, I'm just very excited at the moment. We're just, I feel like I've sort of come full circle from the horse world, went out, and now I've come back home, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so just really looking forward to it. I've been working with quite a few people locally here, just coaching them and training and helping bring on some some young horses. And um, it's been really great. So I'm just looking forward to doing a lot more of that. I'm also looking forward to my daughter's just started a pony club. So she's really getting into pony club, which is awesome. I went all through pony club. I think it's, you know, a great way to to start off your career and so she's you know starting doing little competitions and one day she'll listen to me the advice to give her but not happening at the moment um so yeah really looking forward to just doing a lot more um getting back riding and coaching and you know bringing on I love bringing on the younger horses or the horses that might be slightly quirky and you know just getting them going and you know you get such a I think when they're like that you get such a sense of satisfaction that you know you can actually see that you're turning them into a really nice horse and it's Mm. a very some of the very visual and very you know obvious kind of um you really see the results um so yeah so that's um and and it does take someone with a bit of experience that's worked with a few quirky horses too you know to to be able to know when to ask them a bit more, to know when to back off. You know, it's a little bit of timing, but it, it's not for everyone to get those horses. But, you know, once you've got the knack and, and the timing and the eye and the skill and everything, yeah, they can be very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as you say, it's kind of having ridden enough different mm. ones and been in enough different situations to know, as you say, when to a little bit more pressure on when to back off, when to go actually to something else, or you know, it's um, sort of mind and body working together, I guess. Yep. And um, yep. also, yeah, the most most rewarding part of riding, I think, is mm-hmm. when you actually you really see that, you know, yep. the improvement and you feel the improvement. And yeah, mm. good. Okay, now Alex, can you summarize? Think about your philosophy with horses, your overall philosophy. If you could summarize that into a lesson today for our listeners, that'd be great. Well, I think importantly, and I probably haven't mentioned it earlier, but I'm a big believer in follow your heart. Mm-hmm. If your dream is horses, then definitely follow it mm-hmm. and give it a go. As I say, I went off to union and was supposed to go off and you know do the whole career thing, but I'm so glad that I didn't <laughs> and I uh, you know actually financially and in a lot of ways 
would probably not be seen as a great thing to do. But, um, you know, I, I kind of followed my dream and I, I wanted to see if I could, you know, ride at the top level. I wanted to see if I could do badminton and I did. So I think you have to, yeah, if you've got a dream and you believe in it, give it a try. For, you know, there's no downside. But also, you know, having said that, you've got to be in it or not. I think you've got to put in, you've got to put in the work. You've got to, as I was saying before, you've got to get the basics right. You've got to be, you know, with horses, not, if you want to be successful, you can't do it half-heartedly. You've got to be very committed and give a lot. You've got to be very tough, resilient. And also, I think, be open to learning. You know, you've always got to be learning, you know, learning new things, new thinking, and just, yeah, just don't, I guess, don't try and run before you can walk, you know. As I said before, you know, get the basics right and know what you're aiming for, know what you plan for the next few months is, where do you want to be, and work to that, and work hard, and, you know, put it in the work, and then down the line, that will just totally, you know, pay dividends, and, um, you know, if you do have issues, it's easier to fix when you go up to the next level. You've got the grounding, so you can go up to the next level. So it's all, you know, as much as it's tempting to just rush and, and skip things, I think you do, you know, you need to put in the hard work, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, Alex, how can people contact you? Um, easiest way to contact me is either by email or mobile. My phone number is 0403-940468 or email, best email is amorleybrown at gmail.com and I'll just spell the first bit, which is A-M-O-R-L-E-Y-B-R-O-W-N at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you happen to, that'll give you a clue, if you happen to Look up on badminton and go, there's no Alex Brown, I never did badminton. Mm-hmm. Alex Morley. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, no worries. No worries. <laughs> okay, now, Alex, um, if people do have missed that, they can actually go to Horse Chats. So it'll be horsechats.com slash Alex Brown or just go to horsechats.com and search for either Alex, A-L-E-X or Brown and um, that episode will come up or the, the interview will come up. Thank you, Alex. It's been wonderful talking to you today. I've certainly enjoyed your journey, you know, your journey sort of from your very first pony and, and competing <laughs> and, um, you know, going through going through the challenges of competing at top level. But, um, you know, interesting that you, you're sort of out there now and your daughter and you're helping your daughter and you're coaching and you're um, still doing stuff with quirky horses, which is brilliant. So lovely catching up <laughs> with you today and hopefully we'll talk to you again very soon. Yeah, that was lovely speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alex. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.